0: Hello, this is Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 133, Music, Mountains, and Ocean. Today I'm bringing you an excerpt from the wonderful book called With Head and Heart, the Autobiography of Howard Thurman. I'm going to be reading to you from page 247, and this section is called The Language of Music and Speech. On the back matter of this book, of Howard Thurman. It says, Howard Thurman was a singular man, a black minister, philosopher and educator whose vitality and vision touched the lives of countless people of all races, faiths and cultures. In his moving autobiography, Dr. Thurman tells of his lonely years growing up in a segregated town where the nurturing black community and a profound interest in nature provided his deepest solace. A passion to learn made him seek out the best schools teachers and books from the very start he went on to become one of the greatest spiritual leaders of our time during the course of his extraordinary career he served as dean of rankin chapel and professor of theology at howard university minister of interdenominational fellowship church in san francisco of which he was a co-founder dean of marshall chapel of boston university an honorary canon of the Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine in New York. He was deeply engaged in work with the Howard Thurman Educational Trust until his death in April 1981. One of the reasons I am very interested in Howard Thurman for these times, for our times, is because of his deep connection with God, with the Divine, across many boundaries. Thurman had an ecumenical way about him, a deep connection to the divine in nature, as seen in nature, God in and through all things, and a deep centeredness. In this way, he was able to speak words of wisdom and words of centeredness to the people around him involved in the activities of the poor people's movement in the 1960s, and the civil rights era. It is for these reasons that I think we need a reinvigoration of, of contemplative ways of thinking of being in this world if we are to stay fueled for the kind of work we have ahead of us in putting the world to rights, in living out the Beatitudes for the kingdom of God that is here now, for the kingdom of God and the gospel that is brought to us by the least of these. So I'm going to read this little portion that I thought was particularly descriptive of Thurman's spirit, the core of him, and I felt it brought a lot of inspiration to me and something we could meditate on and take close to ourselves. Page 247, Howard Thurman says, The miracle of a man's life is life itself. I look back upon my own path, which began three-quarters of a century ago, and I am now aware of certain aspects of that journey for the first time. For instance, I have always wanted to play a musical instrument. More than wanting to play an instrument, I wanted to make music. It is an expression of beauty with all the subtle nuances of meaning for the ear that I can listen to hear. Certain of its sounds are only open to the exquisite hunger of the self. The gift of intimacy is revealed by the magic music creates when a person who is so blessed makes an instrument sing. Sue, Thurman's wife, has such a gift always when she plays the piano, something more than music flows forth. It is as if there is a happy blending of all harmonies created since time began. The sounds I hear with my inner ear are so complete, so glorious, that what I am able to achieve seems a sacrilege. On a fateful Christmas morning, while I was at Howard University, the family presented me with a large package. In it was a B-flat clarinet. The ROTC band instructor promised to give me lessons, but I lacked the incentive or time to study and soon gave it up. Nevertheless, through the years, the hope that someday I would learn the instrument was kept alive. Finally, I studied the clarinet seriously for four months at the Boston University School of Music. For me, it was long past high noon. I was 60 years old. There was no time to devote to the skill and the art of mastering the clarinet, but I learned to play simple scales and to read the score of uncomplicated melodies. The semester of study at Boston University gave me courage, however. As a signal of the new order of beginning, I purchased a very good French clarinet. What I enjoy most now is creating tunes that seem to me to be a part of melodies I have heard all my life. Occasionally, when the rhythm settles into a steady beat, I make awkward music on my beautiful instrument. There has always been a running discussion in our family on favorite composers. Ever since our daughters were small, we have celebrated the birthday anniversary of Sue's beloved Mozart. Mozart is not my favorite composer, however. I revel in his music, but he is not the angel who soothes troubled waters. Now Beethoven, that's a different matter. There is a massive vitality in Beethoven's music that consumes all foibles and mediocrities, leaving only a literal and irreducible reality. For years, I have worked at unlocking the doors to understand the late quartets. One of the private ambitions of my life is to feel as much at home with them as I do now with the 7th and ninth symphonies. One night, I sat in the San Francisco Opera House listening to Myra Hess. The Moonlight Sonata flowed through her spirit to the keyboard. Until that night, I did not know that an artist could become a perfect, complete, and utter channel for creative flow, an instrument of its hands. If I could share the mystery of the lonely giant Beethoven, I would have a clue to my own solitariness. This can never be done, alas, because I have no active companionship with the tools he used. The language of music and speech are different from that of the mountains and the sea. The language of the mountains is awesome, stark, and solitary. For me, the loneliness of the mountain peak against the background of the sky, day or night, is excruciating and glorious. It strips and lays bare the spirit. I have often felt that if I were a psychoanalyst, I would live under the shadow of a mountain range and use direct exposure to the mountains in all their changes as part of my therapy. I am sure that they would serve as a magnet pulling up from the depths of the psyche, the underside of life, thus making the work of therapy and healing incredibly shorter. The periods of greatest personal renewal in my life have been spent on the ocean. I love the sea, and I know it to be the womb from which all living things have come. There is something ominous about the phrase, The waters covered the face of the earth. Crossing the Atlantic for the first time was like a homecoming of the spirit. There were times when standing alone on deck, the boundaries of the self dimmed and almost disappeared, and then again affirmed themselves. I felt that I was outside of time, yet watching myself in time. All life seems to come to attention when the waters are troubled, when the winds rage and the ship is a thorn in the exposed flank of the waters. That is the kind of beautiful writing and wonderful sentiment of Howard Thurman. I recommend getting your hands on all the books you can by him, and especially starting out with his autobiography called With Head and Heart, the autobiography of Howard Thurman, because once you understand where he came from, and he grew up on the shores of Daytona Beach, small segregated black community there in the early 1900s, you will understand from which he came and how extraordinary his mind was, how he rose to the top of all his classes in all the schools that he went to, and what an extraordinary life he had, as well as how he was quite different from the other religious and spiritual uh, leaders uh, many of his time, and uh, it was a kind of different soul unto himself, a way that um, was, I think, after God's own heart in a special way that touches me deeply. He is one of those sage elders I think we should revisit in our time. He's separated a little bit. He passed away in 1981, so he's a little bit separated from a newer generation of people who won't generally be exposed to him. So I want to bring him back into our regular consciousness and make sure that he is not forgotten in any way, Um, certainly among non-academics, among people who wouldn't ordinarily stumble upon his work. Just wanted to read that to you to show you some of the beauty of how he thinks of nature and music. It's been a long time since I assigned homework on Soul School and so I'm going to do that today. Your homework assignment for Soul School, if you choose to accept it, is to go out into the natural world until you are astonished. And by that I mean, sit out and center yourself in God's creation and listen carefully and look carefully and notice carefully until you become more aware of your surroundings. Maybe you'll hear a bird song. Maybe you'll feel the breeze on your skin. Maybe you'll notice some sort of beautiful design in what you are witnessing in a flower or a blade of grass or plant. And take that in deeply, focus on it and luxuriate over something in the natural world so that your spirit touches something deeper. And uh, maybe part of yourself will dissolve a bit into the Spirit of God in the way that Howard Thurman speaks about it when he's on the ocean. And I hope that by doing that, by meditating on the glories of God, you will be able to center down, as Howard Thurman calls it, center down into the heart of yourself, into the core of yourself, where deep calls to deep. And you will find the comfort and love and grace of God. Join me next week for a new episode of Spark My Muse. I wish you blessing and peace. And I would appreciate so much if you would pass this episode and this podcast on to someone else to listen to and enjoy.